Good morning. Good morning. I was wondering if um, that rascal you heard about, who is that? <laughs> That's not me. <laughs> no, I, I am pretty busy, uh, and I thank God for the, the things that I'm involved in. Um, been through a lot, you know, some of you already know. Um, I had a life in addiction, and um, God moved me from some real dire situations. Um, you know, being hospitalized because of my addiction, um, being homeless because of my addiction. And he moved me to the point where got a state license and, and a home, a beautiful, unbelievable wife, and she's special. To deal with me, she's special. <laughs> she is. I miss her. She was not able to join me on this trip. This is, believe it or not, the first one she has missed. You know, but, you know, in vocational demands caused her to have to stay behind and so I, I, I'm required just like I eat you know what three maybe four times a day I got to check in <laughs> so you know I, I check in just to make sure she's okay and I'm okay um, but you know we're getting ready to get started but before we do who in the world knows the capital of Ohio? Not me. You know what? With that answer, you get a prize. <laughs> wow, that was simple for being ignorant. <laughs> I could win all of them. <laughs> okay. Um, who said, who said Columbus? You get a prize. Yeah, there you go. You know, I, I, I love to give stuff away. You know, I really do. It's just, it's just so exhilarating. You know, in a minute, you're going to see me go airborne. You know, kind of like LeBron should have. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Um, how many people know the real scourge today when it comes to drug addiction. The thing that is running rampant throughout the country. Heroin. Huh? Heroin. Who said heroin? Stand up and be recognized. Yes, you get a prize also. Yeah, I, I like to bring stuff and just give it away. I got one more, okay? But you're gonna really work for this one. Because if you look, this one is about the brain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the aspect about the brain. Tell me. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Tell me what I'm thinking. Something. <laughs> Very good. I was thinking something. <laughs> and I have a couple more. This is the short version of what 
I just gave away? I know the capital is Russia. What is it? Russia. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one that's easy to digest. Now, I got this other thing here, and I am really, really anxious to give it away. It's just a poster. And it's something that, you know, I'm going to tell you something. We really need to be aware of. Check it out. See, we take this for granted. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm a licensed counselor and I tell my folks, the people that I counsel, everything the doctor tells you, you don't have to accept. You can say no. If the doctor prescribes a certain medication and you get to, you get to ask him, <laughs> what is it? What is it gonna do for me? What are these side effects? You know, how long do I have to take this? You know, is it going to cause me to maybe grow an additional earlobe? You, know, you get to ask all those questions. That's right. You know, that is your right as a patient. Okay, remember that. If I don't teach you anything else, I want to teach you that. So, how many, who goes to the doctor on a regular basis? Uh, when you're supposed to. <laughs> See, I don't. You know, sometimes I'm supposed to go, but can we reschedule? You know, I don't like to do that. The last three doctors I've had fired me. Um, you, here, you take this. <laughs> that, that's that's deep. Woo, man, and. We're going to pray for those doctors. <laughs> okay, I'll give the rest of this stuff away at the end, but it looks like we're up and running, and i got to find this clicker, and I think it's right here. But before we do this, I want to read something to you, because I want this, the spirit of this poem, to be with you as you go through some things. You know, this has been an awesome, awesome workshop. You know, and, and this is just early morning, second day. You know, we got some more stuff to go to. You know, and the sessions that I went to were fabulous. There were some that I missed, and folks told me they were fabulous. And so some real good information here. So tune in. But... This poem, a friend of mine found it and shared it with me. It's called The Watered Lilies. It says, The master stood in his garden among the lilies fair, which his own right hand had planted, and trained with tenderest care. He looked at the snowy blossoms, and marked with an observant eye that the flowers were sadly drooping for their leaves were parched and dry. My, li my lilies need to be watered, the heavenly master said, 
Wherein shall I draw it for them and raise each drooping head? Close to his feet on the pathway, empty and frail and small, an earthen vessel was lying, which seemed of no use at all. But the master saw and raised it from the dust in which it lay and smiled as he gently whispered, This shall do my work today. But, but it's an earthen vessel, but it lay so close to me. It is small, but it is empty. That is all it needs to be. So to the fountain he took it and filled it full to the brim. How glad was the earthen vessel to be of some use to him. He poured forth the living water over his lilies fair until the vessel was empty and again he filled it there. He watered the drooping lilies until they revived again. And the master saw with pleasure that his labor had not been vain. His own hand had drawn the water, which refreshed the thirsty flowers. But he used the earthen vessel to convey the living showers. And to itself it whispered, as he laid it aside once more, Still will I lie in his pathway, just where I did before. Close would I keep to the master, empty would I remain, and perhaps someday he may use me to water his flock. Oh, excuse me, his flowers again. I just talked about each and every one of you. See, you're that earthen vessel. And our work is truly, truly cut out for us. Praise God. Let us get started. This session is about evidence-based programming for juvenile substance abusers. A very tough group of folks to deal with. Oh, God bless those little angels. <laughs> they are truly a piece of work. They just do stuff. Why? Because they want to. One of the most impulsive groups of people you will ever encounter are juveniles. You know, I, um, as you heard in my bio, I ran several adolescent programs. Um, when I did that, I had hair. <laughs> you know, those kids knocked the hair straight out of my head. I just like, you know, I heard a minister, he came to Gray Road many years ago, and he said, you know, it's one thing that is very, he says, two things true about hair. Hair will do two things. 
It will either turn gray or it will turn loose. <laughs> and obviously mine did both. You know? So I'm still, you know, I still have some issues with that minister. Uh, you know, I call him and say, you little rascal, you. Well, let's, let's check this out. Ev Evidence-based programming for juvenile substance abusers. The purpose is for us to identify certain treatment milieus that have prove, a proven record of success. That's what evidence-based is about. There has been research, there has been statistics accumulated on this stuff. What works, what doesn't work? You know, it is documented over time to reduce the alcohol and other drug use in juvenile substance abusers. Using information that is collected in the following areas. And it's a lot of it. You know, I, I used to wonder why I had so much paperwork when I go to work. And it dawned on me that we're gathering evidence on stuff that works. You know, what happened? What is the outcome of the individual that had been in treatment? And that's what we want to be able to use because I mean, um, what's the best car on the market right now? One that runs. Yeah, okay. Ooh, stand up and take a bow. <laughs> that is so true. And it's paid for, you know. But what is the one that most people gravitate to? You know, the one that provides not only performance, but comfort. You know, and that's been proven by the way people purchase it, by what people say. Well, it's the same thing about treatment. Which treatment is going to work with adolescents? You know, we have to understand that, you know, there are institutions, uh, state and federal. I work with about, what, f at least four different agencies state, federal, and inside the state there are one, two, three, four. Four different agencies that I have to coordinate and respond to. I have to give them information whether I want to or not. I don't care what happens during the course of the treatment day. I got to give them information because they are in the practice of gathering evidence as to does this treatment that you are administering, does it really work? How does it work? You know, there is a, a code of ethics I have to respond to. I have to do things a certain way. Those little children, I mean, you start, I'm gonna be very transparent, you know. Those little children make you think about doing something to them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they do, you know. And I remember one moment of unprofessionalism, you know, and I can share this with you, you know. I, I, I told this one little guy, you know, I said, I thank God today that I am not your father. You know, because boy, <laughs> whoo, he was a piece of work. God bless him, you know what, he graduated from the program. And the last time I saw him, he was employed. 
He had graduated from high school. It was really bizarre. I'm driving to work and I get to this intersection. His truck pulls up beside me. The window goes down and I'm ready to duck. <laughs> you know, because I got, I got, you know, even though I wear glasses, I have pretty good peripheral vision, you know, and I'm like, whoop, the window going down. <laughs> and he stuck his head out the window and he said, Mr. Reg, Mr. Reg. And I always teach my children, you put a handle on my name. It's simple respect, That's right. That's right. you know, you got to have boundaries and limits. And I was like, who is this that knows me at 6.45 in the morning? And I look over and there he was. He said, I'm on my way to work. And I knew then treatment had worked for him. So this is what, you know, evidence-based stuff is. Drug abusing and addicted adolescents have unique treatment needs. How many people saw Brother Jasper in the last session? Just one. I wish every last one of you had been in there because he identified some stuff that children go through, the, the toxicity of some of their relationships, the stress, the anxiety, the anger, the depression, you know. We got to deal with all of that. Uh, he raised an issue about kids that cut themselves, you know. Uh, I had several of them on my caseload. And you have to really, really be very cautious and careful how you counsel them. You know, uh, one of my counseling sessions was the fact that young man was like, had some real issues with anger. I brought him into my office. I had him sit down. I went, sat down behind my desk, and I started doing paperwork didn't say a word to him. Why? Yeah. Number one, he wouldn't have heard a thing I said. Okay? Number two, there was nothing I could do to defuse his anger. All I would have done was incited him, got him stirred up even more. But I gave him exactly what he was asking for. Huh? No, I gave him attention. That's why I brought him into my office and sat him down. He wanted attention. So I gave it to him. And after about 45 minutes, he said, can I go? I said, hold on, let me finish this and I will escort you back to the treatment facility. And I escorted him back. Several weeks later, he said, Mr. Reg, thanks. They won't tell you stuff right away. So this is what we're looking at. Research has shown that treatment designed for adult popula populations require modification. If you were here yesterday, you heard some of the same thing about treatment for women. That requires modification. See, all treatment is usually designed for men. Is it fair? No. No, it is not. So we have to tweak it and adjust it to fit the demand of the population that we are servicing. You know, women have very unique needs, just like children. Men, you know, you give us, you know, give us 
piece of bologna, piece of bread, we all right. <laughs> you know, give us a little attention, walk by, pat us on the head, we be all right, you know. But we get more attention than any other population. So we want to be able to, and this is really important. It says uh, family involvement is particularly important for the interventions targeted for our youth. I had this one program, it was called the SAFE program, and that an acronym was for Substance Abuse Family Education. And that's what we did. You know, it was a outpatient, and you're gonna see that in a few minutes, an outpatient program where one day a week just the kids showed up. The second day, the kids and the parents showed up. So you're bringing folks together and you're processing and you're looking at, okay, what can we do to help this particular unit? You know, the, the unique piece was that there was time carved out for individual family sessions where we sat with the children, the parents, and we all talked. We all listened. And that's a key, key component. Okay, here's some of the different milieus. Um, and these are dictated by the issues. For example, residential. It is a facility that will house the individuals for a specific time period, obviously for treatment to occur. What are the qualifiers? Well, if we read on, we'll see it. So that treatment can occur in a safe and managed setting. Some of these kids need to be taken out of the homes, taken off the streets, taken out of their circle of influence and placed in a residential facility where you control who gets to them and who doesn't. Now the one particular adolescent program I worked in, it was a locked facility. We had to lock them little angels up. Except for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but we had to lock these little angels up. They were referred to our program by the juvenile court system. So they had committed some rather significant crimes. The average length of stay was a minimum of 90 days. So we had them for about three months. Some we had longer because they needed to be there longer. One of the things that I found out early on in my career working with adolescents is that they like to do the shock and awe approach. <laughs> you know? They want you to go <gasps> about what they say, about what they do, especially in the residential setting. Because number one, they don't want to be there, you know? So they're going to act out in such a manner that's going to make you think, oh, I got to get them up out of here. 
And that was the last thing I was going to do. You know, I had a boy cuss me out and called me everything but a child of God. Show did. He knew I was a Christian. And that's why he tried it. Excuse me. He just, you know, you, you. I thought he was an auctioneer. The way he was. <laughs> the way he was cussing. I mean, it just flowed. I said, oh, wee, he's done this before. So I stood there, you know. And it seemed like the more I stood there, the more angry he got. And he came up with a few choice ones. And so what was my response? I just asked him. I said, um, excuse me, may I ask a question? And he looked at me like, yeah, you know. I said, um, is that the best you can do? <laughs> You know, you think I haven't heard those words before? I said, come on, let's, let's go to my office and talk about what the real issue is. He became my ally. He started informing me of who was up to what. I'm serious, you know. You'd be surprised when you don't put them on front street yes, sir. And, and and you just kind of just I'm not a very tall person so I didn't have to squat much <laughs> but you squat down and you get eye to eye with these children you learn their language how much they appreciate that because see that validates them that's you telling them you are important so, you know, residential is sometimes, you know, the best choice, especially if the addiction is rampant, if the criminality and the behavior is unmanageable. All of that is, is very, very important. The next level is, is called IOP, which is known as intensive outpatient programming. It meets three to four times a week because mm -hmm. you have to have regular contact so that you can reinforce the teaching. What does that sound like? Yeah. Don't it sound a little bit like Bible study too? <laughs> yeah. Everything I do is related to the Bible. Even my clinical approach. Yes, sir. Um various ways but it's usually learned behavior a lot of times unfortunately um, the yeah it's established in the home or about 15 20 feet outside the home you know there is um, a breakdown of communication between the child and the parent uh, they don't want to hear not so much what the parent is saying, but it's how the parent yes, is sir. saying whatever they're saying. Parent may have a very valid point, but it's the presentation of that information that really like rubs the child the wrong way. And the child's like, you know what? <laughs> I don't want to hear this. You know, you're supposed to love me. 
One of the things that parents struggle with is the issue of tolerance. Now, one of the things I did with my children as they were growing up and whatnot, I would take time and I just tell, you know, one or both of them, you know, get in the car. You know, they'd be like, what? I said, get in the car. You know, they'd be like, all right, you know, we're getting in the car. And we go off and we would drive and we, I'd drive for, you know, three, four, five minutes, wouldn't say a word. And then I said, okay, do you know why we are here? They'd be like, you know, uh-uh. I said, today, dad is going to listen to you. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. This is your time. I dedicated time to them. And I'm so grateful that I did. So usually that communication thing, you know, that's usually where there's some problems. You know, parents will administer discipline and will not explain the purpose of discipline. You know, I know my dad used to tell me, uh, his explanation was, um, I'm going to beat you because I know when to stop. And the police don't know when to stop. And I'm like, Dad, that ain't making sense to me. <laughs> yeah, because I really don't want you beating me, you know. <laughs> but, you know, he believed in corporal punishment. You know, he's World War II vet, so, you know, that's what he got. So he taught me what he knew. You know, I, I wasn't mad at him for very long because I wanted to eat. <laughs> okay, but the IOP usually lasts about three hours each night. And that way a lot of programming could get done. Uh, a lot of what we call didactic information is dispensed. You know, a lot of lecturing, that type of thing. Then we have this aftercare. Aftercare meets a little less frequently, usually two times a week for an hour to hour and a half. And that's so that, you know, we maintain contact. That's the, you know, continuity of service. We want to keep teaching. It's a little less intense because the behaviors have been modified somewhat and then there's an opportunity to kind of take a little bit of a step back and let the child implement the use of some of the information that they've had access to. So we want to like give them a chance, show me what you know. That's, that's the purpose of aftercare. Then there's continuing care. You're still having contact with the child. But it is less. It'll meet one time a week or every other week for one to one and a half hours so that you reinforce some of that teaching so that you are available to answer some questions that they may have when they implement something maybe it didn't work just the way they thought it was going to work so they get to ask you like hey I tried that it didn't work then you get to examine and scrutinize how the application occurred. Any questions or anything? Okay. 
Addiction is a generational issue. I'm going to let that marinate for a second. Think about it. It is a generational issue. This leads to compensating behaviors by every family member, meaning the need for treatment is systematic. That's why in the adolescent program, we brought the parents in, because they were part of the problem. You know, they didn't even know they were part of the problem. You know, you have to handle that carefully, because you don't want to create an adversarial situation. Have the parents all mad at you, because then they'll pull the children out of treatment. We don't want that. Family members begin to function inside of a new normal. That's normal to them, but it's not normal to us. That's absolutely normal. Ask them about it. They'll tell you, oh, it works. You know, whatever it is, they will tell you that it works. Because they have a pattern of behaviors which are rituals, each being trained in this new normal. Each family member knows their role. Parents know what to talk about and what not to talk about. They know what they can confront you on and what they can't confront these little angels on. They know because all that is part of the training. Then we have this one therapeutic approach. It's multisystemic therapy, which will address the factors associated with serious antisocial behaviors in children and adolescents, those who abuse alcohol, drugs, those who even commit crimes. These factors include the favorable <coughs> attitudes. See, if we really read the Bible, Jesus was the best counselor I ever know. You know? And I use the approaches that he uses because I know they work. Some of y'all looking at me like, Reg, I, don't, I ain't believing that. <laughs> well, let me tell you. We, we, yeah, we're we going to get to some of the approaches that are a little more obvious. But what we want to do is impact those attitudes towards drug use, poor family discipline. That's why we bring the families together in with the children. We want to deal with attitudes about drugs, about parental drug use. You know, I had a kid that was uh, parents use, smoke weed all the time. Like, how are you going to tell me? You, what you telling me, something wrong with my mama? No, your mom is not in treatment. You are. And I'm trying to impact what you do. That's all. So, you know, they will try to get you distracted. We want to deal with school dropout and poor performance and criminal cultures. Who are you hanging with? That's why we take this approach. We want to know who in the world are you hanging with? Well, you say, well, Reg, how'd you do that? Well, we require them to go to community-based sober support group meetings, AA and NA. We make them go to like 
three per week. Get them verified and bring the verification slips back. Now this is the approach that I mainly use, which is CBT. This is also the approach that my Lord and Savior used, CBT. Jesus tried to change the way people thought about things. The behavior will follow. You know, it says, you know, it's a, it's a psychotherapeutic approach examining the connections between how an adolescent thinks, feels, and behaves. What's the motivation? What is causing all of this? Cognitive examines automatic, irrational, and maladaptive thoughts related to a person's problems. They think the weed gonna fix everything. I gotta help them understand it will not. One of the things I tell them is that in each puff of marijuana there are over 800 chemicals, 40 of which cause cancer. 20 times the tar content of a unfiltered cigarette. And they say, what? I'll be like, yeah, uh-huh. That's what happens. Motivational interviewing. We examine the thinking patterns. We ask open-ended questions so that we get them to hear how they think about stuff, their reasoning. We show, we express empathy, demonstrate understanding of the adolescent's point of view. You know, okay, I understand what you're saying, you know. How much time we got? Five minutes? Okay, I got to do a one minute role play. Eric. Okay. <laughs> oh, man, I told you about this. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. Yeah, imagine Eric. Come on, come on up here. <laughs> Stop right there. I'm scared. I'm not <laughs> Imagine Eric being 11 years old. <laughs> okay, and the thing about 11-year-olds is that they're very impulsive. Very impulsive. So we're just going to do a real quick, a 30-second role play, you know. Because he already want to, like, get with me. Eric, do you know, you know why you're here? And this is very real because most of these kids are much bigger than me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> huh? <laughs> I don't know why I'm here. Yeah. Man, my mama wants me here, I guess. Um, is there any particular reason why mom wants you here? I guess she don't like me hanging out with my friends. What happens when you hang out with your friends? Man, we don't do nothing, man. We just smoke a little weed and throw rocks and stuff. Mm. Not too much. Okay. Um, how'd you get the weed? Oh, we we know who sells the weed. How do you get the money for the weed? Spill it out my mama purse. <laughs> okay. You think she might have an objection to you taking the money? Man, if, if I don't take the money, she's going to buy some Jack Daniels. <laughs> okay, and so that tells us that maybe she has another plan for the money? 
Man, I don't never get nothing from mom. Nothing? Nothing. She don't buy me nothing. She don't do nothing for me. Okay. Um, what'd you do last night? Hung out with my friend. I mean, before that. Before that? Yeah. What, I came home from school? Uh-huh. And what'd you do when you came home? Laid around, got me a sandwich. Sandwich? Yeah. How'd the bread and the lunch meat get there? I guess mom got it. Hmm. Okay, I'ma make appointment to see you on Monday. And we'll finish talking about this, okay? Do we have to? Uh, kinda sorta, it's, it's mandated by the program. Okay. 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 That's all. Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> what I did is just establish a rapport with this particular client. I <laughs> he has. <laughs> and, and, and this is part of what is happening. It's the fact that the first thing we did is examine the thinking and the thought patterns of Eric. We want to understand where he's coming from because that will tell us what his values and his belief system is all about. That impacts thinking. Yes? Well, in between the time that you end that conversation and Monday, mm -hmm. he has time for that to process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And don't think I won't be processing that too. Right. Yeah, I have to. The values and the belief system also has an impact on how people make choices and decisions. It does. What's really, really important to these individuals? That's the piece that we have to get in touch with. What makes it important is the belief system. You know, the value is that he places great value on marijuana because it does something for him. The belief is that it will bring relief. And we got to examine that, get him to look at the consequences of it so that he starts to make more of the pro-social choices, changing his behavior and changing his lifestyle in general. There, this is another approach that I use. It's called seeking safety. And the main purpose of it, it is, you know, cognitive behavioral approach, but it is about staying in the present and providing safety for the individual. We don't even know how, look at this. Instead of focusing on past traumatic events, which is, you know, those PTSD moments. We got to keep them here in the present. Okay, what can you do today? What decisions do you have about today? Where are you today? And then we get them to look for solutions by looking to the future where they want to be. Seeking safety is a unusual approach. It's, it keeps, like it says here, 
present focused therapy. We don't know the trauma our children have been through. We don't know how many killings they have seen. We don't know how many episodes of somebody getting pistol whipped. And we don't know what, how and what it does as far as affecting them. This is why this is a very, very unique approach. It also helps to build a rapport as well. They talk about some of the stuff that's going on. There are a lot of written assignments. There's safety in giving a child a written assignment. The central theme is safety is first. PTSD and substance abuse are treated concurrently at the same time. Promote recovery thinking. Four content areas, thinking, behavior, interpersonal relationships. What's going on with him and his mom? That's why you know, I asked him you know, do, about what do you think your mom has, has to do? especially with the money. We want him to start looking at mom differently. Even though she's not perfect, she's got, she's got responsibilities. And then the therapist process are important. That means that I gotta keep an open mind. Okay, our time is up. Uh, there were several others and we didn't get to them, but the thing we want to see, I had a whole lot of stuff on there. <laughs> I kind of got carried away. You know? Okay. Yeah, wherever we're going to be at next year, I'll show you the rest of it. All right, thank you so much. God bless you.